often enough, what you're going to end up finding is that people will tell you answers in their own, their own words. And you have to listen to that over the course of time. And you'll see some patterns emerging. They're going to say things in different ways. But what you're listening for is what are the common patterns that sort of bubble to the surface? What are the signals and the noise in the responses you get? This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, 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 business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Happy New Year to everyone. If we haven't spoken to each other or you haven't listened to my voice uh, in the new year, always happy to still be around. Looking forward to a great 2023. So today we are live streaming for the first time on Daily Motion. Check that out if you haven't. It's kind of like YouTube, um, lots of different videos on there. So we'll see how that works. Also, we are live streaming on Amazon. Once again, I want to share with you, this is the stuff I drink right here um, from Amazon, bubbly water. Why wouldn't I do that? Um, So check that out right here. You can scan the code on the screen. So that's super interesting how Restream keeps changing things up. Also, really, really quickly, I want to mention that I'm already seeing people scanning the link. Maybe we should stand on that. Stay on that for a minute. Six... uh, uh, eight. Oh my goodness. Okay, we got to move on, guys. Uh, talk about what we want to talk about. My new book is also out. Is marketing a good career? Um, so check that out really, really briefly. Um, and really appreciate you guys checking out all these different um, QR codes. Very interesting to see how many people are clicking along. All right, keep clicking on this one. This is the topic we're actually going to talk about today. David Allison's book, The Death of demographics. He's joining me today to talk about that. And you know what? I've talked about that for a long, long time, that people need to stop putting everybody into buckets. And you know what? Back in the day, a CEO in his 50s, my eight-year-old daughter, and somebody in their 20s were doing exactly the same thing. So demographics don't do anything when you think about uh, the behavior. So let's let's talk to David. Let's get him on the show and find out why are demographics actually dead? David, welcome. Thanks for having me over. I put on an extra ring for you so I could feel like the power ring is there. So there we go. Oh, it really, really, <laughs> it really, really hurt my hand. So I tell you what, I mean, it's kind of addictive to see people clicking these links. I, I don't know if I think you can see that on your end too, but we're up to 15 QR code oh, nice. scans already. So uh, we'll keep your book up there for the, the, the rest of the show. Now, let's talk about uh, Death of Demographics. Very, very interesting read. But what prompted you to write the book and, and why, why are they dead? Well, you know, um, wow, it's a great question. The, I spent my life as a marketer. Uh, until I started doing the value graphic work that I do now. Uh, And I just kept seeing over and over and over again that the target audiences that my 
clients were paying me to go out and find for them and to convince them to do stuff. When I'd see who actually responded at the end of those expensive long campaigns that we were been putting together for people all over the world, the target audience who said yes wasn't always the target audience that we thought we were talking to. And it was a big mystery. It was like, why are these people who I'm not talking to, not doing creative strategies for, not buying messages in their channels, and yet they're still saying yes? What's going on? So when I sold my company, I said, mm, it's time to figure this out because it seems really inefficient to be spending all kinds of time and money talking to a group of people and only a small percentage, 10 or 15% of the people who I thought I was talking to actually ended up being in the group that said yes to whatever the product or service or brand might be. So that led me into behavioral science and trying to figure out how do people decide to say yes to things. Uh, and long story short, what ended up happening was this, this revelation that people only do things based on their values. Our values drive every single decision, emotion, behavior that we are ever going to have and that we've ever had in our lives. This is a, this, it's a neurological fact for humans. This is how we make decisions about what we're going to do all day long. And in fact, demographics are just not all that useful as a way to understand who people are on the inside. It's a great tool still to help us understand what people are. We've got to put a fence around a group of people and say, I'm only going to try and talk to these folks because, for example, I'm selling reading glasses. They're not going to sell to 18-year-old girls uh, who, who, who uh, have no need for them, who still need a demographic fence. But assuming that everybody inside that demographic fence is going to be the same and respond to the same things, that's just kind of nonsense today. So demographics, truthfully, they've been dead for a very long time as a way to understand who people are and how we can talk to them and how we can tell stories to them. It's just not a useful tool anymore. But, but why do people still keep talking about it so much? I mean, is it the same concept? So, for example, content strategists have this debate all the time quantity over quality, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, James, um, I can't remember his name, Atomic Habits, that guy. Um, yeah. In his book, he talks about, um, yes, certainly you want quality, but the way you get quality is by actually having the right quantity. So for example, the more live streams I do, right, the better I get at live streaming. I mean, look at all this new stuff that's happening. That wasn't happening when I first started. I mean, for real. So is it one of those examples? Is it one of those cases where people are holding on to demographics because it's just easier to hold on to demographics? Kind of like it is, hey, is it quantity over quality? Well, if I produce less, I'm trying to have higher quality. Do you see what I mean? I do. Uh, I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way, though. The reason people are hanging on to demographics is because it's what we've always done always done from olden days you know there was a there was a biological imperative for people to behave in a certain way based on their demographics back in ancient times if you were a 18 year old in a in a in a in a village in 17th century france and you weren't out bringing home the bacon and and earning a living to to keep your family um uh, alive and well then you were not living up to what society expected from you and if if at a different period in time you were a 14 year old girl and you weren't repopulating your tribe, then you weren't living up to your expectations. And so you can even fast forward into the, you know, I think about my dad growing up in the, in the, in the forties and the fifties, where he had a certain set of expectations because he was a male who uh, was married. And uh, you know, there were just things he had to do, but today 
we all get to kind of curate our lives however we like. You don't have to behave in a certain way because of your de your demographics are no longer your destiny. So why do people keep hanging on to them? It's because it's what we've done for thousands and thousands of years. And so trying to convince the entire business community that there's a better way, that's a big, uh, that's a big hill we're trying to climb. And this book is one part of how we're trying to do that. You know, what's interesting too, the, the whole argument over, well, we've done it for thousands and thousands of years. It's just crazy to me. I mean, I see it in journalism too. You have these long, young journalists coming up and some of them are still so married to the printed product, right? I haven't read a printed newspaper in forever. And I read the printed newspaper on the app, which makes no sense to me why there is an app for a printed newspaper, quite frankly. <laughs> but I read it. But my point is, these young journalists are holding on to what we've done for hundreds of years, right? And, or whatever, in, 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 in the case of a newspaper. But these people haven't been alive for hundreds of years, right? I yeah. mean, I haven't been alive for thousands of years, but, but yet we're holding on to it. Why is that happening? Is it just... I mean, like we need a few more generations or can can we get there? Can the people who are currently alive get there? You know, it, it's, it's a really big battleship we're trying to turn, right? I mean, me, you buy media channels based on demographics. You buy um, impressions based on demographics. We still have demographics are still so pervasive in our boardrooms around the world because it's the system we've been using forever. It's the legacy system. So even though the legacy system is broken, and I'll tell you how broken it is, you know, my company's gone out and turned core human values, which is a much better way to understand people, into data. And the way we've done that is with 750,000 surveys around the world, long form surveys, we had a team of amazing translators helping us in 152 different languages. And we're now accurate. We've recorded the core human values for 180 countries on the planet. So we have the world's first accurate record of what everybody on the planet values so much that it drives all their decisions all day long. Now, one of the things we can do with the way we built this data set is we can look at demographics. We can say, okay, if values drive everything that people are doing, how similar are the values of millennials? Because if that's a target audience we're trying to talk to, they better be similar in what is going to make them make a decision and the root cause of their behaviors and emotions or else we're wasting our money. So you say millennials, you say men, women, rich, poor, young, old, gay, straight, black, white, all of the different labels, the buckets, as you said in your intro, that we're used to putting people into. And around the world, the people inside any one of those buckets, they only resemble each other roughly 10% of the time. So that means if you spend a dollar trying to target and, and put a message out there for a demographically described target audience based on what you think is true for women who are Gen Z and earn $75,000 a year, at best, you're going to get about a 10% response rate, which is why the volume thing is so important. You got to do this a lot if that 10% is all you can expect. And that's only, that's if you're perfect. Like if you're an amazingly perfect marketer and you get a 10%, that's, 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 that's a 10 out of 10. So you think about that for a moment, all the direct marketing stuff that goes out there, the direct mail, the direct uh, emails, any direct marketing campaigns. If we get a three and a half, four percent response rate, we pop the champagne corks. Think about that for a moment. That's a 96 or 97% fail. And we're excited because we're using a metric and a consumer insight that at best will give us 10%. So we get to three, four, 5%, we're, we're doing pretty darn good. Instead, if we just put people into buckets based on what's in their heart, 
and what makes them tick and how they make their decisions. You can get 80, 90% response rate on anything that we do. And even if my stats are wrong and it's only half of that, it's a 40 or a 50% response. Even if I'm three quarters wrong uh, and it's only a 20 or 25%, it's still pretty darn good. Very subtle product placement in case you haven't uh, noticed. Um, Here, I'll do one too. Good. Subtle product placement. <laughs> we've had that one up the whole time. There it is. Um, if you do need a refreshment while you're watching uh, Polar Seltzer, I like the non-flavored one, quite frankly. Now, you know, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. And I think your math is probably very optimistic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it more from the pessimistic view. And if it's only 10%, you know, even if you reach them all, I mean, you might have 20% pay attention. So now you're down to 2%. Uh, so certainly, certainly that's not a very high uh, success formula right there. Now let's talk about defining or figuring out what people's values are. And I, right. as a content strategist, I love the discussion about values because so when you say to me, you need to reach whatever, 25-year-old males or females or whatever, 20, 25 to 34-year-olds, let's just say yeah. that. Okay, got it. But now I actually have to do what you just described. I have to figure out what their values are because what yeah. am I going to talk about, you know, and as a content strategist, that's literally what we do. We only, you know, we talk about the stuff people care about so we can get their attention and bring them in and at some point yeah. consider buying from us. So how do you actually determine what are the values of people and how do they align with your company? Well, there's there's um, there's the way we're doing it now, which is wrong and inaccurate. And that's to sit around and say, well, gee, you know, um, we asked a bunch of them what they care about. And they told us this. Uh, if you ask a bunch of people if family is important to them, what are they going to say? They're going to say yes. And if you ask them if the environment is top of mind for them, who's going to say no to that? Uh, you there, there's there's the the methodological flaws in the way that we approach this question are, are so glaring. If you sit back and ask a research um, designer, like, well, how is this coming together? They're, it's like all these studies I see online all the time about Gen Z wants this and, you know, uh, women want that. And you're like, really? You're, 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 there's, there's how many hundreds of millions of Gen Z on the planet? You're trying to tell me they all want this or they all want that. It just, it belies logic. So what we have to do instead is to find a way to get into their hearts and understand what's really driving them. And so that's why we built this giant database. So for our clients, what we do is they come to us and say, you know, PayPal is a client, for example. PayPal came to us and said, we're trying to understand people who use PayPal as a checkout mechanism instead of some other, um, some other way that they could do that. And so we're able to go out and find a small group of folks who prefer PayPal, ask them a few questions about what their lives are all about, not about PayPal, but about their lives and about what their um, desires and wants and needs and expectations, their values really are in the world and how they navigate themselves through the world. And then we use that information to go back into our benchmark study of 750,000 surveys from around the world and come out and say, okay, here's what's really driving those folks. Here's the stuff that's really, really important. Now that's for clients and not everybody listening today is gonna wanna be a client. So there's a couple other things you can do. Buy the book, uh, at that price, 649, I think I'm gonna make about 25 cents. So everybody listening today and all your friends and neighbors and relations and cousins and sisters and uncles and aunts are gonna have to buy one and I might have enough for a, a, a nice bottle of wine. Uh, it's not about making money, but in the book, there is a present for you. There's a gift for you. It's a uh, 15 question quiz and you can use that quiz to 
send out to whoever you want through whatever CRM system you're using. Um, and, and the answers will point you to a chapter in the book. There's 15 chapters in the book that are devoted to telling you everything we found in our research about these 15, the 15 largest archetypes that show up in this global data set of what makes people say yes. So that's a really great way to start. It's uh, not super accurate like a commissioned report would be, but it's it's like um, I, I like to say it's like playing the piano with your fists. Like you're you're using the right tool, and you're just you're not ready for Carnegie Hall yet. You're not going to be a concert pianist, but at least you're using the right set of of tools to to understand the people that you're trying to influence. And if you want, I've also got three questions that we call the three telltale questions. And if we want to take a minute and go through those, um, that's a free way to start understanding what people's values are all about. So you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that in a minute. Before you go down that road, I do want, I do want to hear about those three questions. Uh, while you were just talking, I want to give a quick shout out to Rob Fitzpatrick, the mom test. And he actually goes into so much detail about what you just mentioned. You can't say to people, hey, do you like whatever do you do you care about sustainability of course i do of course i would say that so you have to be a little bit more subtle how you ask questions and and the mom test actually dives into that topic quite a bit and it's a, a very very interesting read so check that out scan it on i see people are scanning it up to 22 scans already on the show today so super mm. awesome to see people are being interested in all the products we're sharing now let's talk about those three questions you mentioned yeah, so we call them the three telltale questions. And we've tested these now with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And you got to, there's some work because this is the free way to do this, right? There's a little bit of work you have to do because uh, I can't do it for you. So what we've done is find these three questions, design these three questions. And if you ask these questions often enough, what you're going to end up finding is that people will tell you answers in their own their own words and you have to listen to that over the course of time and you'll see some patterns emerging they're going to say things in different ways but what you're listening for is what are the common patterns that sort of bubble to the surface what are the signals and the noise in the responses you get so you can do this yourself or if you've got a frontline sales team for example train them to kind of bring these questions up in passing as if it's just conversational when they're talking to the customer however you can get people to answer question number one why do you go to work? It's a fascinating question because people will tell you it's for their family. It's for the second home they're saving money for. It's because they want to go back to school because it's their creative outlet. All of those are about their values. That's question one. Question two, why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? Not who would you give it to, but why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? People will start by telling you who. They're going to say, well, my great aunt Sally, she passed away last year from pancreatic cancer. And you're like, no, that's, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you, why would you give away half of your lottery winnings? Now you get people thinking and they start to come up with answers that are about legacy or about ambition or about some of these core values that would drive a monumental decision like that. And the third question, you get to write a letter to yourself. From 10 years ago, a letter that goes back in the past, what would you say to your 10 years ago self and why would you say those things? 
That's the most interesting question of all. It's also a great thing to ask your friends after the second glass of wine around a dinner table. You start to learn a lot about your friends when they start talking about what would they say to them? What's the advice they'd give themselves if they could talk to themselves 10 years ago? So you see the pattern here. Why would you go to work? Why would you give away half your lottery winnings? What would you say to yourself and why? It's about the why. It's Simon Sinek's why. It's just a way to find that with some data behind it and with some statistics behind it and get to the root cause of why people do the things that they do. Those are the values that you're listening for. And if you can find those, your job's simple as a storyteller, as a content creator, you just need to connect the dots between your product, your service, your brand, whatever it is you're trying to tell a story about and the things that people care about in their lives the most. Connect those dots, build those bridges, and you're golden. Or we're neurologically hardwired to chase stuff that gives us more of our values. We can't help it. It's what being human is. So find out what they're chasing, get yourself in the way, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's easy after that. It, in theory, it is easy. And I really, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but uh, David talked about the why. And sometimes I think Simon Sinek gets totally misquoted because everybody says, what's my why? What's my why? And if you're the company, nobody cares what your why is. And I'm totally <laughs> talking, uh, I'm totally uh, quoting Mark Schaefer here, quite frankly. But uh, what you, you didn't say it like that. What you said is, what's people's why? What's the consumer's why? Why would they care? What's their value? What What's whatever? Uh, but it's about them. What? How can we help them? Um, yeah, you know, there's a really interesting theory. Um, Harvard Business Review just wrote some stories about this a couple of months ago, and they, it keeps coming back over and over and over again. But it's a it's a popular idea amongst CEOs of large corporations um, as a way to think about what's a business for. And we've all heard the line: the purpose of a business is to increase shareholder value. That's a very old way of thinking about things. Today, we like to talk about the purpose of a business is to increase stakeholder value. And now stakeholders are your customers for sure, but your employees, your vendors and your partners, the communities that you operate in, that you're impacting with your operations, um, all kinds of different shareholders. Yes. Investors, all those folks as well. Maybe the employees that you don't have yet that you'd like to recruit and bring into the organization. If you think about all of those different groups and say, gee, if we could just pinpoint with some level of scientific precision, what the shared values for each of those stakeholder groups are and see where they overlap. You end up with two or three values that work for everyone who's involved in the ecosystem of your business. Those are the values of your company, not the values that six vice presidents and a box of donuts in the boardroom one afternoon came up with, but those values that represent everyone who's in your ecosystem. That's a better way to think about business. And, you know, I do want to clarify one thing. I think uh, Simon Sinek actually does talk about the company's why, but Mark Schaefer talks about you should talk about the why of the customer. And if you listen to Real Talk, uh, you can scan it right there. It is available on Amazon. He has a nice episode on that podcast talking about that exact model. Now, in the last three minutes here or so, David, um, but our demographics completely dead or are they just on life support and we need to think about how to change them moving forward i mean there's some value knowing some things about people right that that fall into the demographics bucket 
Well, I love talking to storytellers because you all appreciate a good story. So here's a good way to think about it. I call it the three-legged stool of audience insights. One leg is demographics. We still need demographics. Demographics are a great way to, as I said, put a fence around a group of people. But where we've been going wrong is we've been saying because we understand what these people are, black, white, gay, straight, young, old, rich, poor, we somehow know who they are and we don't. We just know what they are. So it's still necessary, but it's only one leg of the three-legged stool. The second leg is all that psychographic data, clicks and preferences and past purchase behaviors and emotional studies and brand index, all that kind of stuff. And it all comes from the past. So it's only good to help us understand what's already happened. So you got demographics as a description, psychographics as a record of the past. And the third leg is value graphics, because what we're all trying to do is change the future. And in order to understand how to get people to do what you want them to do, how to change what they do next, you need to know the basic human truth of how people make decisions. That's about their values. So demographics, psychographics, value graphics, nice, stable, three-legged stool. You're golden after that. You're golden after that. And of course, we do have your website up there, valuegraphics.com. Uh, in the last minute here, tell us, how, who should reach out to you? Who should work with you? What's like the perfect client look like? Well, somebody who's ready to throw demographics away or at least put them on the side of the table and use them for what they're good for. We work with everyone from big, giant, global Fortune 500 companies all around the world to small little entrepreneurial startups who are trying to understand how to build a product or a service to people who are more concerned about their employees and their workforce and understanding the values of the people inside the organization so they can build an engaged workplace culture. So anyone who wants to understand how to connect to people inside their hearts, we could do some work together. And I really appreciate how you kind of summarized that at the end. There. I was just going to jump in and say that I'm like, it's not really about throwing demographics away. It's about what do we use to understand our customers better, right? And, and certainly changing our mindset can do that. David, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.